pray for Mark that he'll make it home safely. <laughs> I know I'm praying for him <clears throat> to do that. And uh, let's do that this right now. Let's just uh, take a moment in prayer, shall we, together. Father, thank you uh, that you brought us together. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Lord, we give thanks to You. <clears throat> Your mercy endures forever. And uh, how lost we'd be without Your mercy, so we thank You for that. We do pray for uh, Mark and Tammy as they travel home. Give them safety on the roads. We pray too for, um, as we think of Les's mom has been uh, in the hospital, we pray that You would touch her body, give her comfort and peace. Lord, you are the healer. Pray too for Les. Uh, his back is bothering him. Pray that you would uh, just give him uh, comfort with that as well. And again, thank you for this morning that we can just look into your word together. We look forward to it. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Thanksgiving weekend. Get enough to eat? Uh, I got into the, the mood by alliterating family, food, festivities, football. That's not the uh, sermon notes, but that is what we've just been through, isn't it? <laughs> Some one degree or another of, of family and food and festivities and uh, some football if you're so inclined. It was available. There was lots of it on there this weekend, wasn't there? Some good and some unfortunate, but uh, we're proud of our boys that went over to the other side of the state and represented, and uh, good job. Final four of the state of Washington. We're proud of them. They met a buzzsaw, I believe. <laughs> but that's okay. They represented... <clears throat> something that we might not necessarily associate. Those are all kind of associations in our mind about, about Thanksgiving. Something that we <clears throat> might not associate with Thanksgiving, but, but it turns out that it is in the Bible that there is wisdom associated with Thanksgiving. And we're going to see how that plays out here as we look at, together, look at Psalm uh, 107. <clears throat> Psalm 107, and um, we'll start with the first three verses. This is kind of the theme of the psalm, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The theme is giving thanks to the Lord. The theme is the Lord's goodness, the Lord's mercy. And who is the redeemed? Who are the redeemed ones of the Lord? Anybody? Redeemed of the Lord. And um, we've heard that phrase. There are songs written about that phrase. Uh, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's if you're old enough, you might remember that. Um, if you're young enough, probably never heard it before. But we're going to see who the redeemed are in this, in this uh, psalm, this song, and we're going to see what they go through. We think of the redeemed as this happy band of, of pilgrims on the way to the holy city, and, and we are. And we're born again, uh, rescued from sin, 
and the grave, life eternal, all those good things, given a family, given a home. But there's more here. Uh, We're going to see that these redeemed folks sometimes are weary, sometimes are enslaved, sometimes are burdened down and afflicted with our own sin and guilt, and sometimes we are overwhelmed in the storms of life, yet through all of that, God's goodness to us is always there. Remember, as it said in verse 2, he has redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. Satan wants to cast doubt on God's goodness. Satan wants to take that storm you're in. Satan wants to take that loneliness, that weariness you're going through and say, see, God's not that good. But he's redeemed us from that, hasn't he? So we don't have to fall for that, for those um, lies of the tempter. So let's get right into um, what's going on. Again, we are the redeemed, and the redeemed are the ones that are talked about in four different pictures here in this psalm. Um, We have the opportunity as the redeemed ones to say so, to proclaim his goodness and his mercy to us. We've experienced His goodness and His mercy if we are His. And that's our, our blessing to get to proclaim that, to say so. And to say so in the context of all these situations, all these circumstances that we're going to look at. God's mercy, God's goodness, God's wonderful works to the children of men, they come through every time. He's gathered us from everywhere, from the north, south, east, and west, or the east, west, north, and south, I guess is how it's put. Um, And we are. We're from all over. Um, God has uh, children from every tribe and nation, doesn't he? So when we read through this next, uh, or go through and talk through these next four circumstances, let's remember that we're talking about the redeemed. We are the redeemed, and here's what happens to some of us some of the time, or to all of us at one time or another, one time or another. So let's look, starting in verse 4. They, the redeemed, okay, and that's who we're talking about. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. In the context of of the psalmist, the desert was not a place to hang out, okay? There was wild animals. There were were, uh, people that would try to take advantage of you. It was not safe. And here's a person, here's a pilgrim, a weary pilgrim that that is tired. He's, (laughs) if he had... uh, had a GPS system, it would be saying, recalculating, recalculating. He's lost. He doesn't know the way out. He doesn't know, I don't know. Sometimes you don't know the way out of the situation, whatever the situation might be. Um, Weariness, lostness. It's not secure. It's not safe. There's insecurity. There's loneliness. I'm all by myself. Nobody really understands what I'm going through. There's no safe place to lay my head at night. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to survive. My soul is hungry and thirsty, not to mention my body. And at that very point, let's read what happens. Verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Those cities in that day had walls around them. 
they were safe. They were safe havens. They were safe spaces. Out in the desert, no walls, no safety. But once you were in the city, you had a, uh, an inn, a place to stay the night, walls around you, um, some security. They did not have 911. They did not have um, some of our conveniences. But we are in the same situation sometimes, aren't we? Where we don't know where to turn, where we don't know uh, how to find our way. We're, we're wandering. But they cry out to the Lord and He hears them. There's a, there's a key, and we're going to see this over and over. They cry out to the Lord in their distress, in their danger. And the key is, they've gotten to the end of the rope. When we cry out to the Lord like, Hey, God, I'm going to go play softball today. I hope you let me get a couple of base hits and catch a fly ball. Um, hey, God, I, I'm a little short on cash today. I can only buy the sale items at Safeway. and I'll be all right, but, you know, I hope you can help me a little bit. Uh, when we get to the point of saying, I got 90% of this, God. Could you fill in the 10%? Or even the other way around. I've only got 10% of this. Lord, could you fill in the 90? Um, that's not where he wants to meet us. He wants us at the end of ourselves. Out of options. Rock bottom. The heart cry to God is, you're the only thing left. I'm turning to you. I'm crying out to you. He's there. That's, his, that's the place he wants to meet with me. He wants to meet with you at that place of complete exhaustion, complete surrender, complete acknowledgement that I got nothing. I got nothing here. And you're my only hope, Lord. He wants to be our only, he is our only hope. He wants us to realize it is what this is about. <clears throat> and then when he hears that cry, he delivers he puts us back on track. He, verse 7, He led them forth by the right way. That's the not lost way. That's the, in our terminology, we're on with Google. Google doesn't have to recalculate anymore. Um, God's better than Google, by the way. Um, and then they might go to a city for a dwelling place. So then he, he takes them by the right way into that safe space, the walled, secure city where they can find lodging, they can find food, shelter, um, water. They can take care of their animals if they have them. It's the answer to their prayer. He gets us back on track. He gets us inside the walls. And he gives us a place to rest and refresh food and water in our distress. And that's God's goodness. And then here is another recurring theme. There are several recurring themes. The cry is a recurring theme. Now, oh, that men, us, oh, that the redeemed, would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works for the children of men. This is one of his wonderful works. We cry out, he hears, he delivers, he takes us to the safe space. We're no longer alone. We're no longer weary. We're no longer lost. We're no longer insecure. He takes care of that. Oh, that we would give thanks to him for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Because he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. His goodness is what the soul longs for. We may not even recognize that, but when his goodness fills our soul, we're complete, aren't we? Uh, all those lacks are answered, are filled. 
when your soul is unsatisfied, are you willing to cry out desperately to God? Hmm. He's waiting to hear that exact cry. That's what he wants to hear. Hmm. There's a, an old gospel hymn, gospel song, uh, Love Lifted Me. Some of, again, people my age remember that song. <laughs> and there's a phrase in there that says, In my despairing cry from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. The key is that despairing cry, not just any cry, the one that is at wit's end, at rope's end. Okay, that's the first little story. The second one starts in verse 10. <clears throat> those, those redeemed ones who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. Bound in irons. That doesn't sound like fun. Because, oh, there's a reason they're there. Because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Not a good choice. And I've been there. I've said, thanks God I've got this. I can handle this. I, I, know, I know the way I want to go. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do it this way. And I ignore God's counsel. I rebel against his direct words. Um, that ends up in a bad place. These redeemed ones have turned away from God's counsel and his instructions. I know what's best for me. This attitude leads to a, a multifaceted problem, a spiritual, a psychological, and a physical incarceration. We're bound. We don't even know necessarily that we're bound up, but we are in chains when, when we get to that place. We're bound. We're in darkness. Um, there's inner afflictions. There may be external afflictions because typically... When I go my own way against the Lord, it doesn't end well, does it? So there's going to be some, some problems. You know, this kind of a, an approach, taking your own path, ignoring the counsel of the Lord, can even end in addictions. And here's an aspect of God's goodness. He's not going to leave his children there. The way he gets you out may be painful. Probably will be. But he'll bring you out. But he's not going to leave us in such a state. He brings us to the end of ourselves. To the end again of our rope. And that's where he wants to hear our cry. Again, we come to that. He, therefore, in verse 12 brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then, when they're helpless, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And He saved them out of their distresses. Once again, that spot where there's nowhere else to turn. Cry out. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their chains in pieces. That bondage can be broken when we come to God in our extremity and cry out for His help. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Once again, we see God's goodness in delivering us. We see His wonderful works, which... Include, in this case, um, giving us the hard labor. <laughs> giving us the chance to get to the end of ourselves. Remember, in uh, verse 12, he brought them down. He brought down their heart with labor. That was God's doing. And he did that because he cares for the end result in our lives. He doesn't want to leave us in that situation. Again, when he hears the cry, he breaks the prison bars and opens the dungeon gates. 
Um, verse 13, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. And um, the reason to give thanks, the reason His goodness or the example of His goodness in our lives at that moment is that He has broken those prison bars, opened those dungeon gates. Now don't ever tell yourself that you're too far gone. Sometimes we, that's another thing. This is a spiral. When we go turn away from God's way and go our own way, we get further and further down the hole, don't we? And, and you might think, uh, I've blown it. I'm too far gone for God. That's pretty close to where He wants you. <laughs> he wants you to turn back to Him right there at the end of that. Don't ever tell yourself that you're too far gone. Cry out to the Lord. That's the key thing, remember? In each scenario, in their distress, they cried out to the Lord and He heard them and delivered them. But it's got to be in the distress, not in the pleasant places and easy times. Um, so, Coming to verse 17, we see the third uh, little scenario here. This is, a, this is an interesting one. Fools. Again, the redeemed. Hmm. We like to read these kind of passages and point the finger. That's not us, that's somebody else. This is still talking about the redeemed of the Lord. And we can say so. I was a fool and I called out to God and he rescued me. That's what he wants to hear. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Okay, now we're getting real. We're getting personal. We're getting down to, oh, you're talking about me sinning? Yeah. It's foolish. It's foolish for me to do that. Excuse me, this thing is maybe a little too close. There we go. It's, it's foolish for me to wallow in my sin. And if I do, my transgressions, my iniquities, I become aff afflicted. Their soul, in verse 18, abhorred all manner of food, hated all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Uh, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Leave you longer than you want to stay. Uh, and even in that. Now, I have no authority. It would be presumptuous of me to say, yeah, it's okay if you sinned. Just turn to God. No. This is God saying, you've gone to the end of yourself again in sin, some sort of sin or another, and there's sin available. <laughs> we don't have to try to find any of that. It's, it's readily available to us if our hearts turn that way. And yet, God says, cry out to me. Cry out to me at the end of this. And I'll deliver. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them. <laughs> what does that tell us about sin and its effects? It's a disease. It's a sickness. It will cause disease and sickness. And what's the cure? It's right here. God sent His word. Do you have God's word? Is it available? Yes, it is. Yes, you do. And that's the cure. That's the, the thing that God has sent us to heal. 
and deliver them, deliver us from our destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Once again, there's reason to be thankful. Now we've changed from this last verse here, verse 22, changes a little bit. The first two scenarios, the first two situations. Um, this is the place where the psalmist says, tells us what the Lord has done. We have given him thanks. He has done this stuff. He has broken our chains. He has uh, given us um, relief from our weariness. But in this case, we have called out to him in our sin sickness. He has healed our sin, our sickness of sin. And it says, now let us do something. Let us, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Um, once again, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works. This is one of his wonderful works. He's sent us his word. He's healed us out of our distresses. And we need to be thankful. The sacrifice of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that... <laughs> how can thanksgiving be a sacrifice? Well, it was a literal sacrifice in the Mosaic um, Covenant. The laws given to Moses for the children of Israel, they had specific offerings to give as thank offerings. Um, in Hebrews, we're told to offer sacrifices of praise, that is, the sacrifices of our lips, giving him praise. In other words, speaking our thanks to him. Thanks, thanks and thanksgiving is a thing that can't honestly come. Gratitude cannot come from a place of self when you thank someone, and especially when you thank God, you are acknowledging that he did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. If I could do it for myself, I wouldn't need to thank anybody, would I? And yet, I couldn't do it for myself. And so I have to get out of myself. I have to understand that there's someone beyond me, greater than me, that has accomplished that for me. And that is a time to give the sacrifice, that sacrifice of myself, of thanksgiving, and declare with rejoicing. When we've come out of all of these situations, there's got to be gladness, there's got to be joy, there's got to be rejoicing, doesn't there? That's just, it's just gonna bubble up if we're real about it, if we understand where we've been and where he's brought us. No other response is possible. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your wonderful works. That foolishness of sin, it results in the burden of guiltiness. And <laughs> this comes right under God's universal rule that he built into his creation. And that is, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And if we're sowing that fleshly sin, we're going to reap corruption. He promised that. But when we turn to him, he heals. He heals. That, that spiraling down in sin can actually feel like a, a pit that doesn't have a, a bottom to it. You're never going never gonna to fall all the way to the bottom. But God still hears the cry. He heals by His Word. He rescues from sin's destruction. And that's something to thank Him for to praise him for
declare his works with rejoicing. Um, and that may be any one of us, and probably has been most of us or all of us at one point or another, may be drowning in guilt, but God's goodness and mercy, they're still there waiting for you. Have you turned to him? Have you asked him for help? Have you cried out in your extremity? You might wonder, well, why or how can God rescue? How can he forgive? How can he redeem? Remember, we are the redeemed ones, and that's who's being referred to here. And the how is, and the why is, that he put our guilt and our sin on his son, and his son paid our penalty. We don't have to we don't have to take that penalty. It's been paid for by Jesus. <clears throat> His goodness and mercy are waiting for us as we turn to him. And then the fourth um, scenario here given in this psalm, again those redeemed ones verse 23 who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. I'm not uh, a fisherman, but I know some of you are, and some of you may even go out in boats to fish. Has anyone ever been in really choppy, heavy sea kind of water? that It can make you a little green around the gills, can it? Get a little, little queasy with... Uh, with heavy seas, and uh, I like it right here compared to that. And uh, but not everybody goes fishing, so who is he talking about? Or not everybody, you know, goes does business in ships on the sea. Well, we can bring it to the here and now with each of us. We've all gone through storms in life, haven't we? Where life, the situations, the circumstances, the demands, everything is happening at once and pounding on, pulling at. Um, we don't know which way to turn. You know, we climb one hill only to fall off a cliff and then have to climb another hill. And, and uh, those kind of things go on and on. And they happen to each of us. There's a, a thought about life storms. You're either in one or you just came out of one or you're about to enter one. <laughs> They're just part of how we live in this world is there's stormy times. There's um, challenges that way. So what did they do in the storms? Oh, let's look at one other thing about the storm. It's the work of the Lord. Oh, did you ever think about your storm in life as being the work of the Lord? Um, your storm in life may be the guy that cut you off in traffic. <laughs> it's a little teacup kind of a tempest, but still. It might get under your under your skin a little bit. Maybe the Lord sent that to you so that you could respond the way he wants you to respond. A learning uh, storm. Are you ready for those storms of life? The one pictured here, we think, you know, we do think, that, well, yeah, I know, life's going to be challenging and it's not going to go the way we we hoped or planned or figured it would or uh, whatnot 
But look at this story. These are experienced sea people. They've been there. They've done that. And they're overwhelmed. Okay? So there are storms of life that will overwhelm even the most experienced among us. And experienced or not, we've all been storm-tossed at one point or another. But look at who started the storm. Verse 25, He commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves. So, why does God do that? Why does God bring storms into our life? Again, it's the same picture from a different angle every time. He wants to get us, His redeemed ones, to depend on Him, to cry out to Him in despair, not in... He wants to hear from us all the time, but He really wants to meet with us, show us His goodness, His wonderful works, His mercy that never fails in our extremities, in the times when we've got nothing left. And he wants to bring us to those. And sometimes he uses these life storms to get us to that point. To get us to the point where we're at our wit's end, as it says in verse 27. And then, then they, we, the redeemed ones, cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. We know that, that he can do that, don't we? Um, master, don't you even care? We're about to die here. <laughs> Wake up, Jesus. Oh, yeah, okay, peace, be still, and flat water. So we know He can calm the storm, the physical storm. He can also calm the storm of our life that we're going through. Then they are glad because the waves, they are quiet. So He guides them to their desired haven. And you remember in this story, the same story with the disciples and Jesus in the boat. You know, they started out and Jesus had been preaching out of the boat and, and He was ready for a nap and said, yeah, we'll go over to across the, to the other side. And in the middle, the storm came up. He was already taking a nap. And um, don't you care that we perish? Um, and he said, peace be still. And the waves were gone. When there's a natural storm like that, the wind might be done. But it takes a while for the waves to calm down, doesn't it? They don't just go flat, glassy, instantly. Except when their creator says, be still. <laughs> then they do. Then they just flatten out. And the disciples, if you read that story... Um, and I think we'll probably get to that pretty soon in, in Mark. Um, they were more afraid for the calm than they were of the storm. They said, whoa, who is this guy? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That kind of freaked him out. But the other thing that happened, as soon as the waves were still, in the middle of the lake, and it's like seven miles across, the Sea of Galilee, and in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the lake, when it went calm, they were at their desired destination. They were at the other side. It wasn't, okay, we got three and a half miles left to row. It was, they were, they were there. And it says that right here in the psalm. Then they are glad because the waves are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And again, another exhortation for we who are His redeemed ones. Let us exalt Him also. Lift Him up in the assembly of the people and praise Him 
in the company of the elders. Just be thankful, be praising, be exalting the Lord for the wonderful things that he does, the storms of life. We don't have to be overwhelmed. We can cry out to him. He commands the storms. He uses circumstances in our lives. Oh, it's another, another thing to, to understand about life storms. When God brings the waves, when God brings the storms, there's at least three reasons. It may be to correct. We might be going the wrong direction. It may be to instruct us. That's the case of the disciples in the boat. They were obeying. He told them, take us to the other side. Let's go over there. So they were doing what they were told to do. And they still got in the middle of a storm. But it was for instruction. So he could show them who he really is. He could show them his power and his glory. Um, or, as in this instance, that storm of life might be to bring us to that point at our wit's end, as it says, to cry out to the Lord. That meeting place that he wants to meet us. When we cry out to him, he stills the stormy waves, he gladdens our hearts, and he brings us to the place he wants us to be. And our response is to lift up and exalt the Lord together. Are you fighting your own way out of a life storm? That's our tendency, isn't it? Well, circumstances changed and it's not what I hoped for, but uh, I just have to grit my teeth and get through it. We have an opportunity to take a different way out of the storm. If we take our own way, it'll probably result in um, a melted soul of staggering disorientation. Remember those men in the, in the uh, boats in the earlier verses here? They reeled to and fro like drunken men, staggered like a drunken man. Um, their soul melts. Dennis flew airplanes, so he can't really relate to how big the waves get. But, but ocean waves can get pretty huge. 60-footers. Um, that's bigger than my boat. It would be overwhelming. Are you fighting your own way out of the storm? That will probably result in a melted soul and, a st and staggering disorientation. Cry out to the Lord. And have you seen the pattern? We've looked at all four of these little vignettes. And there's a pattern. It recurs. It's very, and that's, I love this psalm. I love it for lots of reasons. I love it to remind me to cry out to the Lord. But when I'm going to talk to you all, I mean, it's A, B, C, and D. It's just right there. It's nice and laid out that way, and I like that. But he repeats himself from a different perspective to try to get through to us, doesn't he? He wants us to understand where we are, where he is, and where we need to be. We need to be completely dependent on him. Not partially dependent, not a little bit dependent, not even a lot dependent, but totally dependent on him. God has that special meeting place for the one who comes to him as the only possible answer. That's where he wants to meet us, to demonstrate his goodness and unfailing mercy. Our only possible response is to give thanks for his goodness and his wonderful works. Amen? Amen. Don't get excited. I'm not done.
the last uh, 10 or 11 verses here, we kind of see, a, if you want to look at it in that way, an application of, of what we've learned. Starting in verse 33. He turns rivers, he, that is the Lord, turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. Well, that doesn't sound fun. A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. And sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. So God is reminding us that he is sovereign. He's in charge. When he wants to send a lesson, he can turn a, a happy, well-watered area into a desert. And a, a happy place in our life can, can be turned upside down. And it might be the Lord giving us an opportunity to cry out to him. But to the humble and to the afflicted who do cry out, he can turn that dry place into a place of water springs, in a place of abundance where they can dwell and increase their cattle. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. So that's when the redeemed ones are given external afflictions from, let's say, hard taskmasters. <clears throat> he pours contempt on princes. God does. God says, you might think you're in charge, but you're only in charge because I've allowed you to be in charge and I can change that in a heartbeat. <clears throat> Read Psalm 2. That'll give you a picture of that. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? kings of earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, we'll break their bands in sunder. It's not going to work out for them. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. <clears throat> and so he can pour contempt on princes. He causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. So the ones that were oppressing his redeemed end up being the ones oppressed. Yet, he sets the poor on high, the poor in spirit, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice. Again, our response, rejoicing, gladness, lifting up the Lord. And... Um, you may or may not be able to apply the next verse to what you see on TV. And all, not the next verse, the next part of this verse. And all iniquity stops its mouth. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> if you turned on the television and there was no more iniquity, or the news, or the politicians, or... Or whatever. All iniquity stops its mouth. They have nothing left to say when the Lord takes control. Now, we talked about right at the beginning, and I know that's a long time ago, and you probably have forgotten by now. I remember because it's written down here. Um, that giving thanks might have a connection to wisdom, and here it is. Whoever is wise will observe these things. And they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. To observe God's goodness and his wonderful works, his mercy and his loving kindness is to gain wisdom. And we are instructed 
to gain wisdom, aren't we? It's a thing to be desired after and to be sought after, to buy with whatever means we can buy. Um, they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. And that's the point. That's the point of going through weariness, loneliness. That's the point of going through the oppression of the, the bondage, the chains of going our own way. That's the point of even falling into sin. The point of the storms of life around us is that we can turn to God, observe and understand His deliverance, His goodness to us. God is sovereign over nature, over humanity, and over circumstances. He brings down. He lifts up. He blesses and He curses. To consider and understand His goodness, mercy, and loving kindness is to lead us into the wisdom of crying out to Him. That's the takeaway. Cry out to the Lord in your distress. Whatever, wherever, whenever your distress is. Cry out to the Lord. And then, as He delivers, praise Him. Exalt Him. Rejoice in His goodness and His unfailing mercy. Let our thankfulness overflow far beyond one annual season. All right? We've just been through the annual season. It's a much bigger deal than the fourth Thursday in November. It really is. Oh, that men would give thanks to God for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Give Thanks. Live. Thanks. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the plainness of it. Thank you for the instruction. Thank you for the exhortation that we turn to you in all of our distresses, Lord. And thank you for the promise that you hear. Thank you that you've redeemed us, that we are those redeemed ones, and that you hear and rescue. Mm. Pray that you would continue to bless as we um, wrap up this part of the service. Pray that you would bless in our time of fellowship in the, in the potluck to follow. Take this moment to ask your blessing on the food and the hands that have prepared it, and for the opportunity to have to just fellowship together. We thank you in Jesus' name.